So as we thought about this day of celebrating 35 years of ministry for Bob as he uh, is drawing close to, uh, to, to redeploying into a different role, no longer being senior pastor of Oak Mountain, but really being a pastor to the church community at large, uh, we thought, who would we get to come preach and to help us uh, do this together and it hit us, let's ask somebody who's done it. Um, and uh, we asked Scotty Smith. Scotty was the founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, and saw that church do amazing things uh, through his ministry there. And then a little over 10 years ago, he did the same thing Bob is doing. He stepped aside uh, into another role, and um, he has been a faithful friend to Bob, a faithful friend to Oak Mountain. He's helped us even through this process as we've uh, thought about how we were moving forward. And so it's uh, with uh, great uh, excitement that I welcome Scotty to come forward and open God's Word for us this morning. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thank you, Greg, and all of you. It is a, uh, it's a great honor to be here. And when I think about all the people that would have been humbled and honored to be at this uh, lectern today, I am gladdened that that good providence came to me because I love your church. I love you, Bob and Laurie. Um, admire you, excited for you, and excited for you in ways you only know from afar. But I'm 11 years in, and your smile is going to get bigger, <laughs> and your ministry broader. So. As I thought about the opportunity to bring the scriptures to bear, what, what, from, the, from the 66 book canon of scripture, where are you going to land to preach a sermon on the last day of kind of closing down that one part of the ministry after 35 years? Not the end of ministry, not the end of connection to this church, but really the, the, the launching. So, you got the whole Bible in front of you. Where are you going to go? Well, first consideration I had when I think of Bob Flayhart, I've told him this, I can certainly think about Jesus and not think about Bob. No offense. <laughs> but I cannot think about Bob and not think about Jesus because I've watched my brother really in his own journey with Lori in this community to increasingly come alive to the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus. And that's the best gift you could possibly give anybody, just as a believer, much less as a pastor, Bob. So thank you. Bob and Lori have lived, continued to live with this real sense of stay in discovery mode. Because there's nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of the gospel. And that's why, as I told my friend, uh, my next birthday will be number 74 next February 1st. But I feel healthier now than I did at age 55. I transitioned at 62 into a season that Bob's moving into. And it has nothing to do with retirement reframe, refuel, refocus, release. But there's just something about realizing that 
when you offload about 70% of your stress that goes with a senior leader, you really are able to kind of think more about not so much your sweet spot, but the, the next aspect of coming alive to Jesus. So I had to put it pick a text first and foremost it's not a memorial like we're preaching a eulogy or a funeral we're not committing Moses's ashes to the grave here but we are saying because Bob reminds us of the truth goodness and beauty of Jesus what text might help us so principally today I'm going to direct our attention to Psalm 114 Psalm 114 and I'm going to be teaching, preaching out of the NIV, Uh, you're welcome to follow with any translation that you either have in your hands or committed to memory or will be on the screen. But I chose Psalm 114 for a couple of reasons. One, uh, telling the story of the gospel. And, And as you'll see, this is a psalm uniquely written that calls the people of God to remember their story but not just the data of the story, also the doxology of the story. See, when I think about the gospel, similar to Bob, I think lyric, music, and dance. Bob has the dance part down in the waltz, and I'm excited to get my copy of his book that's just coming out that has been a special image and metaphor of understanding growth in Jesus for this congregation and well beyond this congregation. But I use that language, lyric, music, and dance, because you see a great piece of music, it says something, but it also is meant to engage the heart. And that's why today you're going to hear the word joy show up in each of the three points of this conversation from God's word. There's lyric. What does it say? What is God's story that we need to remember It's music. How does it wing its way into our hearts? And what is the dance of the gospel? It's really living out the magnificent implications of the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus. Psalm 114 and its immediate predecessor, Psalm 113, these two psalms have been used historically when Israel celebrates the Passover. Because so much of the Passover is is an event by which Jewish families would say, let's remember who we are and whose we are. And of course, immediately, that's a gospel story, right? That's, That's what we do. In fact, remembering itself is a very existential, experiential category. The Hebrew and the Greek words for remember are not about data recall. They are about reconnecting with. Again, thus the image of lyric, music, and dance. Something I understand, but something that causes me pause and pulls me into the implications that move me deeply into dance. Now, all of the passages we'll consider today show the movement of dance. And so let's just, without any further delay, I'm going to read Psalm 114, then pray for us. And then let me go ahead and give you the three points of this conversation today, this sermon. The story of our joy, this centerpiece of what happens when the 
truth of the gospel, our story, God's story goes deeper into our hearts, the story of our joy. Secondly, the Lord of our joy. And then thirdly and finally, before we have food trucks and inflatables or become inflatable by food trucks. <laughs> thirdly, the now, future, and forever of our joy. Do y'all want to stand as I read uh, Psalm one? 14, because this is God's word. We don't worship the Bible, but we do worship the God of the Bible. When Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob, from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains leapt like rams. The hills like lambs. Why was it, see, that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like rams, you hills like lambs? Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful couple uh, and their family. Thank you so much for Bob and Laurie, Lord, and how encouraging they've been to me, how as fellow pilgrims in the lyric, music, and dance of the gospel. You continue to intrigue us. You continue to raise and pique our curiosity because there's always more to you, Jesus. There, there's always more of your truth and your goodness. You tell us, taste and see that I am good. And oh, Lord Jesus, none compares to your beauty. Would you show us what this means today in this place as we remember our story, as we see you, Lord Jesus, as the Lord of joy, and as we ponder, hallelujah, the expiration date on everything evil and broken and the future of a joy unspeakable, full of glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, like all the scriptures we're going to read this morning, you can read any part of the Bible basically flatline. You can read through it. In fact, some of us maybe were told it's a good idea if you're a Christian to read four chapters of the Bible a day. I tried that for a long time. And, you know, more often than not, I would finish four chapters and I would think, what did I just read? Oh, that's okay. I got my four chapters in. So Jesus is happy with me because there's quiet time righteousness. No, there's not. This is a living relationship. And, and so it's why we want to marinate in these words today that really demonstrate what we have seen Bob because he's been most public more so than Lori, but Lynn Lori as well, the, the show and tell of the gospel. So for instance, as we would say, the story of our joy, how does that show up in this Old Testament psalm that's sung at Passover? Well, let's just walk through verse by verse. Uh, it's really beautiful. So it's retelling what? Uh, the, the primary expression of the gospel of God's grace in the Old Testament, which is the exodus. Look at verse 1. When Israel came out of Egypt, 
Jacob, from a people of foreign tongue, that's the Egyptians, in other words, we know that Israel was formed as a people for 400 years in Egypt. And there was slavery, and there was loss, and there was foolishness on the part of God's people. This, we're always victims and agents of sin. Uh, there are none righteous, no, not one. Well, that's why when we look at this beautiful psalm, it starts with, God is the out of Egypt calling God. He rescues. He doesn't just send a instruction manual for self-help. So again, this story that's meant to say, okay, there's some joy in this, and we're going to see the joy as we go. Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob from a people of foreign tongue. Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Verse 2 is really radical. Really radical because it envisions the day when God would not just call his people into a space, be it the Garden of Eden where our story began, or the tabernacle after sin and death broke everything, or the temple, which was a more permanent place of gathering. No, what's actually said here is that it was always God's intent not to get his people into a room, but for him to inhabit their heart and their midst. And that's a part of what the gospel is saying right here, the gospel in the Old Testament. Judah became God's sanctuary, his dwelling place. Israel, his dominion. Dominion carries more the image of stewardship than dominating. See, God wrote us into a story not of ownership, but stewardship. And he considers us his treasure that he doesn't dominate, but that he has dominion over. Hallelujah. We have a father that takes responsibility for us. Well, verse 3, we begin to see the fact that as Israel knew her story, and as we should read the whole Bible, God acting in history, writing a story of redemption and restoration, it's not just about people, but the whole of his creation. So now uh, creation enters in as characters in the story and with a great degree of exuberant joy. I cannot overstate hyperbole out the window when it comes to saying how much joy is pregnant in this passage and the others. Consider what this looks like. Verse 3, the sea looked and fled. Now, what's that talking about? Well, again, Israel goes through the Red Sea. So there's this picture of God acting to deliver in the storyboard of his own world, and, and the sea literally fled. And the Jordan turned back. Well, that's talking about on the other end of a part of the story. You come out of Egypt and slavery because you are now being taken to a land of promise. A land that is meant to remind God's people of Eden when everything was right. Even though it was not going to be right until the ultimate city comes with Jesus. But this picture of the Jordan it turned back. Jordan opens up. So, so God is involved in all of creation of being a most gladsome, loving redeemer, uh, not just for the uh, slaves, but for the rebels. And that's who we are. Verse 4. Now we begin to get into Bob's wonderful metaphor of dancing. 
And as a non-dancer, these really stretch me, okay? Uh, there's a movie, which I do not ask you to download, but it's called Best in Show, and someone really did have two feet in that movie, two left feet, not as a metaphor, actually. Don't look at my Birkenstock feet and think I've got two left Birkenstocks. I don't dance well, except, 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 when it comes to knowing how the Father enlivens our hearts in his presence. Look at this. The mountains leapt like rams, the hills like lambs, all right? That's pretty lame because the Hebrew word for leaping or leapt here, let me tell you the literal translation of this word. The Hebrew word for leaping means to dance, jump, skip, spring about wildly for joy. So as God's telling the story that we are to remember, he says, look, I don't want you just to think pragmatically, I opened up some water. No, the grandstand was creation itself beholding what I'm doing, and it complies. And creation is actually dancing, mountains dance. We call it an earthquake. God calls it a dance because it's his earthquake. All of creation serves his saving purposes. So you got mountains and hills leaping like rams and lambs. Now, in verse 5 and 6, I don't take credit for this, but Lig Duncan, some of you know that name, our dear friend, kind of chancellor of Reformed Seminary, he said this is, to him, the clearest evidence of trash talking in the Bible. Now, I need to be careful. Uh, Bob knows that image well because he's a good trash talker on the basketball court. Trash talking is just a playful way of trying to, you know, kind of get your... Uh, compadre on the court in their head and heart. So look at this. So the psalmist is now, uh, God is addressing creation just to make sure they themselves also remember what's really going on with all this movement and the exodus and moving through the Jordan of the promised land. So look at verse five and six for a little trash talking. Why was it, see, that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like rams, you hills like lambs? See, rhetorical questions are a device of beginning to help us think even deeply. Yeah, because it's really, it's not the mountains going to say, uh, let me give you, give me a few moments and I'll be back with you. No, this is God's people realizing, do you see what the Lord has done in the world? Do you realize that when we sing the hymn, this is my father's world, we're not exaggerating. And that's why the psalm now in terms of Speaking of creation, springing about wildly for joy, skipping, dancing, the question, of course, should be before us. Why such exuberant joy? What can explain it? Verses, well, really verse 7 and 8 bring together for us that understanding. How, can, how do we reckon with this kind of a joy? How can we explain such a deliverance for those that don't deserve it? Verse 7 and 8, tremble earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. Think with me for a minute. What's happening between you're out of Egypt and you're getting ready to go in the promised land? What do we call it? I'll help you. It starts with W. That's right, the wilderness. So there's a reference here in terms of, of the imagination of God's people being called to remember that 
Not only does God call us out of Egypt, for us, that's sin and death. That's not just enslavement in a foreign country. Not only does he take us into a provisional promised land, but into his heart. Eventually, into the new heaven and new earth, which we won't see before we get out of here. But this picture here is the Lord turns rocks into a pool, hard rock into springs of water. And precious friends, that means this. Life between the resurrection and return of Jesus. Life between your first coming to Jesus meeting and being glorified when he either takes you home or comes back and glorifies all things, it presupposes rapture and rupture and need and, and scenarios in life of illness, sickness, loss, crazy making that are very much like this is just a rock and I am thirsty and I'm dying of thirst. Friends, in the gospel, God meets our needs. Greg said it two or three times this morning. A call to worship. Whatever we need, not our wish list. He knows our need before we ask. This psalm is such a beautiful picture of looking towards the time when, when the story gets even bigger and clearer and grander. But I want to mention this to you because it's a good segue into the next thing we want to consider. Who is the Lord of this joy? So some of you know the story, speaking of, of remembering the Lord and celebrating deliverance. Do you remember that scene recorded for us in 1 Chronicles 15? I'm sure you were reading that chapter this morning. At least you know the story. It's when King David is bringing back the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And what does he do with his feet? Starts with D. Help me, church. I promise you, I will not set you up for embarrassment. We know that story. David, because the, what does the Ark of the Covenant represent? It represents coming out of Egypt. It represents everything God did when his people gathered through the, uh, through the worship of, 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 of his calling and the provision of covering of sin. It represents God as a savior. So David recaptures from the Philistines the ark. He's bringing it back. And, and, and with all filters off, he dances before the Lord to his wife's embarrassment. And he made it real clear. Sweetheart's not in the Hebrew, but it wasn't for you I was dancing with the Lord. See, something happens in your heart and my heart when there's an ultimate story that defines everything and, and, and fear of man and the approval of people and some other story, it, it no longer defines us, but doesn't just not define us, but it becomes a core reality of a joy that we see here. And David, who was a king who was promised to be the first in the line of a greater king that would come one day, who also would dance David knows the freedom of the God of all grace. That's what you have heard in this church for 36, 35, glorious, freaking, good gospel, <laughs> dripping years. And you know what? That includes hard years. You cannot be in Christ and then not feel like rapture and rupture. Why? Because Holy Spirit's making you like Jesus. That presupposes you're going to realize where you're not like Jesus. Also presupposes you're in the body of Christ that are perfectly forgiven but are far from perfected. Amen? See, this is gospel sanity here. 
And, and David knew that in his own sin. But, okay, for the sake of time, let's go on to the one who danced with all of his might and does so right now. Who is the Lord of our joy? Story of our joy from Genesis to Revelation. It's the God of all grace through covenant faithfulness, redeeming a people, promising even Abram that through a pagan moon worshiper, a family would get so big it would be the womb of the Messiah whose work would benefit all people groups one day. Well, here's what I want to focus on now. And this is where we want to primarily camp out on Jesus himself for a little bit because he is the Lord of the joy. Later in the story after Psalm 115, well, Psalm 113 and 114 would have been read and enjoyed, written and enjoyed. Uh, there's a, there are other seasons in the story of the people of God. And a part of those seasons were, were uh, leading up to captivity and restoration. And a contemporary of Isaiah, the prophet, was a prophet named Zephaniah. And he, he Zephaniah, thundered judgment against God's people uh, who, who were really living more enslaved to their own foolishness and idolatry than, than, than it would have been true if they'd still been in Egypt. And so Zephaniah thunders, thunders, thunders. And then we come upon this one verse that I want us to marinate in a few minutes here because it clearly says the whole Bible, like Bob has been teaching and preaching, the whole Bible has one hero, and it's not you. It is Jesus, the yes to every promise God has made. Zephaniah is thundering judgment, and then all of a sudden, the God who is the great redeemer, the out of Egypt calling God, the promised land carrying God, the Lord says there in Zephaniah 3, listen, stop a moment here. Rejoice, be glad with all of your heart. The Lord has taken away your punishment. So a provision is anticipated that will meet our needs. And it gets clear in the Bible that's only going to be Jesus because it could only could be Jesus. But listen to this verse, and I'm going to make the connections about how... Okay, uh, if, if, if mountains uh, can dance, if, if the whole creation is astonished at the music of the story of the gospel, its lyric, and therefore begins to live that life of doxological dance and servanthood. How, who made that possible? Zephaniah 3.17 is when the Lord begins to say, this is what I do for you, and this is who I am to you. You know this verse, but I'm going to, pick up again on some of the imagery of whole person response. Uh, what goes on in my heart translates into my whole body. Do you remember these words? Verse 17, Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now, <clears throat> In the economy of God's word, this can only be answered by Jesus because he's the only one that could take away our sin, becoming sin for us, having lived a perfect life in our place as the second Adam, fulfilling the law for us. So what emerges now is a further image of, of the, the joy of our story only being realistic and not a lie, hype, spin, or something worse because God is faithful to send one like this. And literally, the last phrase I read to you, let me read it again. He, the Messiah, 
will rejoice over you with singing. Here's what the Hebrew of that one verse says. It will sound like what you heard in Psalm 114. What does that phrase in Hebrew mean? It means literally to dance, skip, leap, and spin around in joy with shouts and joyful singing. I'm not exaggerating. I didn't just read a Bible passage and launched in my own fanciful, sentimental quest for some warm, fuzzy God. God says to you and me, this is who I choose to be towards you. So immediately, maybe you can see that parallel between, here's what it says, the lyric, why can't I have the music of that in my heart, that joy? Well, that's the exact question we're asking and thanking God for 35 years in this church if that's exactly what you keep bumping into and deliberately coming back to, but we will anticipate carrying you forward in the next season. Quite literally, let me just walk through these three phrases and make the applications to Jesus. The Lord your God is with you. You know, as much as God was with his people in the Exodus, in the incarnation, he ups his game. Before long, we'll be starting Advent, right? Emmanuel, God with us and for us. How do we know the Lord is with us? We look at the story where it went. When a baby was born in utter weakness... He came into our midst. The Lord your God is with you. He's, he's the mighty warrior who saves. We cannot save ourselves. It must come from outside of us. And because of his finished work right now, now please sit in this. If you've got three more minutes of, of mental, emotional, spiritual bandwidth, at least hear this, and I dare you to take it to heart. He would take great delight in you. What happened when you became a Christian? Or maybe, you know what? It could be that some of you even tuned in today or came in this room today not even knowing there is a Bob Flayhart who happened to be the church planner, founder for 35 years. You said, I got to go to church. And you may be here and have no clue about what all this God speak and gospel talk is. Well, I'm about to tell you something I want you to please hear. And I also want to say to the oldest Christian in this room that served Jesus most faithfully, there's more of this for you as well. When the Lord tells us he would take great delight in us, it means that when Jesus died for you, it wasn't just so you wouldn't be afraid to die. The God of the Bible is highly relational. You see, in the story of God, this Messiah is not just our Savior. I would hate to say that phrase, not just our Savior. He is that, and he chooses to marry himself to us bridegroom to a most unlikely bride. And right now, if you are in Christ, God delights in you as much as he will ever delight in you. You cannot add to his delight. You cannot diminish his delight because the righteousness that you've been given is not yours. It, Jesus won it for you. You are greatly delighted in. I love the fact that, you know, my English teacher said, you use too many adverbs, Scotty. I don't give a flying Houdini. Bible uses, <laughs> multiplies, explosive, descriptive words because it wants to make the point. This isn't just a nice economy of explaining something. It is to grab our soul, our whole being. He takes great delight. This is a future looking forward to Jesus if you know Jesus, you are not loved by God to the extent that you are like Jesus, but to the extent that you are in Jesus. 
which is 100%. He will take great delight in you, this next phrase. He will quiet you with his love. Okay, uh, can I have three more minutes legally? Okay, y'all good for three. Because um, we had a full day in front of us. I just preached myself happy here. <laughs> Second phrase, he will quiet you with his love. You know what that means? It means if you're confused about big words like sanctification, holiness, or whatever else, this is as good of a phrase I can tell you what it means to know Jesus and to become like, like him. God's commitment to quiet you with his love. I don't know if you've ever had someone redemptively shush you that, that doesn't shame you, but they put their hands around your face, and it could be a grandmother, and they just calm your heart, and you want to pull away. But there's a, there's a grip of grace and kindness that you know. There's no place like this home. The Lord your God began a work in you through Jesus. He's committed to complete. Sit still. And know that he is not just true, but good and compellingly beautiful. Lastly, that last phrase, he will rejoice over you with singing. I loved our singing this morning. Oh, my goodness gracious. Can't wait to replay the music of today. But you know who's been singing loudest all morning long? Our Lord over us. We're being serenaded by Jesus. And, and we can't see it, and we don't need to cartoon it. We don't need to create a gift or something. But the Hebrew says, our Savior loves us with wild delight and joy. King David only barely knew the kind of joy that Jesus, the greater David, has. Leads us lastly. What about our future? I'm going to read these two verses and pray for us. Thank you, Bob, for preaching. Thank you for, for living before us as one who's a minor thinking, I see this, but I want more of it. Thank you. And, and, and that, I want you to do that the rest of your life. I mean, that's all there is, right? There's just more of it. Hallelujah. Just keep leading us in gospel astonishment. Um, can we hope? Can we risk looking at the present in light of her future. These last two verses are taken from parts of the Old Testament that anticipate, so what is it going to be like when the Messiah finishes his work and actually comes back the second time? Very briefly, I'm going to read, once again, the imagery of, of a lyric music and dance. Waltz, break dancing, spin on your head, South Carolina beach music, shagging you, whatever, but you're going to be moving. Listen to this. Malachi 4.2, a vision of the two comings of the Messiah. And notice the change in pro, and, uh, pronouns. These final two verses focus on you and me, and it's staggering. The Lord says to us, in light of the work of the Messiah, you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. You know who else is going to be dancing now with a degree of freedom? It's us. Now, maybe you never thought of yourself as a well-fed calf, right? Not the most favorite image, and I'm glad you don't smell like a barn this morning. But do you get the image here? The word frolic in the Hebrew, you know what that Hebrew word is? For springing about, galloping, and dancing. Every single scripture highlights Something grabs my heart that's true, that shapes the way I live. Before the Lord and in the world. Picture here of the Lord making provision. Lastly, 
Isaiah 55, 11 through 12. Once again, the image of and the fullness of the kingdom. But the already and not yet. See, already now we should be frolicking in our hearts. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Jesus has set you free. Stand fast in that freedom. Don't let anyone take you from it. Friends, as a part of the freedom you have, you could not be more freer. You're already free from judgment and death. Is that good news? You're already free from death. You're free from judgment. And you know what you're going to do with any rewards you get? Throw them at Jesus' feet, so quit decorating your condo in the heavenlies. It's all about Jesus. But listen to this. We finish here. Lord saying to us, now in the gospel and the fullness of when Jesus returns and ushers in the new heaven and new earth, you will go, you, you, my people, will go out in joy and be led forth in shalom. That is the writing of the entire universe. All sin, death, and evil have an expiration date because Jesus took the judgment we deserve. Jesus crushed the head of evil. You will be Go out and joy, be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills were burst into song before you. You know who's going to welcome you into the new heaven and new earth? Not just Jesus, who's looking forward to his coming more than you and I are. But the whole of the new creation world is going to clap at the joy. We're finally home. We're finally together. We're finally whole. Again, Bob, thank you for what you understood about this what you've made clear and what I see in your eyes right now. Dang, that's good news. Would y'all pray with me? Father, thank you. Um, oh my goodness. Uh, there are just so few pastors and wives that I know that not only have been in ministry in the same church for 35 years, but are still married, like each other, love, find joy in repenting and not shame, find freedom of seeing a congregation come under the care of a, of a new servant leader. Lord, I thank you for the history here. And I thank you that the big story is Psalm 114 and, and the whole Bible. You are the gracious God who redeems and restores. Lord Jesus, thank you. And we confess our unbelief. We read these words and we want to call it poetry or simile or allegory. It is true. You delight in every single one of those for whom you have died and claimed by your grace. Thank you. Would you make that more real? Would you intensify our joy that we might love our neighbors, that we might go with Bob into caring in Northern Ireland for churches that are starving for people just to show them the lyric, music, and dance of the gospel. Lord, thank you for this church. Lord, I could go on, but we have some more hugs and high fives and hallelujahs to share. So, Jesus, I commit this congregation to your care. I thank you for its founding pastor and wife. I bless your name, Lord Jesus, for giving me friendship with Bob and Laurie. And I so look forward to laughing and dancing together in this world and in the kingdom. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a salvation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.